Hello, and welcome to the Faith Church Podcast channel. We exist to reach people and connect them to God and others. If you would like more information about Faith Church or would like to schedule a visit sometime, visit our website at www.igotofaith.com. We can only do what we do because of the generosity of our Faith Church family. If you would like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at www.igotofaith.com and hit the giving tab. Or you can text the amount of your contribution to 84321. Both of these options will send you to a safe and secure server. Your giving is much appreciated. Now get ready as our lead pastor, Steve Husky, brings us part four of our series, Ghost Stories. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? It's great to see you here this morning. Welcome to Faith Church. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor from the great state of Ohio, so i got to give a big shout-out. Go Buckeyes! OH! Thank you. I got one. I got one. Roll Tide! See, now it's give and take. I gave you Roll Tide. Go Buckeyes! A little less enthusiasm. Guess I'll just have to land the plane right there. Hey, uh, great to have you guys here. Again, um, I'm the lead pastor. It's great to have all of our Faith Church family here. If this is home base, we're glad that you're here. If you happen to be a first-time guest, we're glad that you decided to spend the morning with us. And as always, we have lots of people who watch online, and hopefully you caught the announcement of Be Live next Sunday. The challenge is, if you have been used to maybe watching online and you've never showed up live for a service, we want to encourage you not to watch online, but Be Live next Sunday. And if you have gotten in the habit of staying home in your PJs, put down the coffee mug, step away from the screen, and show up here next week. I want to encourage all of our Faith Church fans, we're starting a brand new series entitled No Doubt November. It's going to be a great series, so it's a great time for you to invite a friend or a family member to come be your guest for a start of a brand new series, excited about it. All right, well, listen, let me ask the question as we get out of the gate. How many people here like amusement parks? You like, you like, um, like Cedar Point, Six Flags? Uh, Universal. Let's see it one more time. How many people are, all right, all right, some. Uh, it's funny because here's what I love about it and what's really is, is kind of outside the box is, is to go to an amusement park, amusement park is so out of the box of what is typical, of what is normal. In fact, we do things at an amusement park that we would never do anywhere else. We do things and embrace things and experience things that are kind of so specific to an amusement park. Again, we would never do, never experience anywhere else. For example, the amount of money you spend a weekend at an amusement park will blow your mind. I mean, if you go in, just, I mean, just admissions getting in the gate, you know, if you walk up and say, yeah, I'd like two, you know, four tickets, I need two adults, two kids, are like, okay, that'll be $749 in your left kidney and your firstborn child, please. You're like, okay. I mean, we spend exorbitant amounts of money. We don't think anything about it. We go in and not only is it the amount of money we spend, but it's the food we eat. Right? I mean, if you're looking for gluten-free, do not go to an amusement park. If you're vegan, tough luck. Um, but if you're looking for some fried butter, absolutely. I mean, just crazy. The food there, it's all so rich, so thick, so high in calorie, high in fat. Uh, but we go, man. We chow down. It's what we eat. It's what we do. Not only that, the thing that is absolutely most out of the box about an amusement park is not the money we spend and it's not the food we eat. It's the things we do while we're there. I mean, think about an amusement park, especially the rides. Um, we don't think anything about this, that, that, you know, we wait all this time, we get in line, we're like, they're like, thank you for waiting three hours to get on our ride. We're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to take you up 497 feet, we're going to drop you straight down at 6 Gs, your face will come literally off your skull, and uh, we're going to stop you in 3.2 seconds, thanks, hold on. 
It's like, wait, what? I mean, we wait in line three hours for a three-second ride that we would never do any other time, but they were like, yeah, because, again, it's so out of the box of what we experience and what we're used to. And then the craziest thing, after we have spent all our money, we've eaten ourselves sick, we've ridden rides until we're dizzy, then we go home, we go to bed, and Monday morning we wake up, and we just kind of go back to work. And so it's What's craziest about it is it's this totally separate experience that we embrace, we love, we live, and then we just go back to work. We just go back to school. And when I think about the amusement park experience, I think about a lot of Christians, that we live this weekend experience, and it's so out of the box, it's so different um, than typically what we do through the week. We show up and we sing out loud with groups of people, and we lift our hands. Well, some of you half lift them, some of you one lift them. We kind of lift our hands and we say amen and we do some things. We sing some songs. But here's the crazy thing is once we do our weekend experience, we just go back to work. And we just kind of go back to that old life and we just kind of do the old regular life Monday through Saturday. And then we come back and have the amusement park experience again. And I just believe with all my heart that God never intended when you got saved, when you got born again, when you had an encounter with God's grace, whatever it is that you want to give the terminology Jesus never saved you to give you a new weekend schedule. The purpose of our salvation was not also, it wasn't just so we would not have just a new weekend schedule, but I believe that God never saved us just so we would have a new destination. Like, I'm, I'm excited about heaven. I don't know about anybody else, but a place where there's no sickness, no tears, no war, no death, no destruction, no racism, no hurt. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty fired up about, a week, about an eternal party in heaven, right? Come on. But, but... I, I don't think that God saved us just to give us a new destination because what do we do between now and then? Because some of us, we think that God saved us just to get us new information. That that's what we do is we show up every Sunday and maybe some of you guys that, you know, you kind of do your thing through the week, listen on, listen to radio or watching TBN or something, but we think it's just about new information. New information is about how much we can learn and how much we can grow when we go to church. And we have Bibles that are underlined and highlighted in asterisks, and we take notes, we write things down, and, and we tweet them, and we Instagram, we Facebook, and it's all about this information. Man, did you hear what he said about Jesus? Did you hear what he said about it? And, man, we, we, it's just about information. And I think information is important. And I think our destination is important. But I want you to hear this today, that Jesus did not die a horrific death. He did not raise powerfully from the grave. We did not experience his grace for a new destination and more information, but he's died. He rose from the grave to give us a brand new mission, that as we live for Christ, we live a new life with a new goal, with new passion, with new purpose to do things we never would have did before because Jesus did die to give you and I a brand new mission. And so today I want to talk about this mission. In fact, here's the way uh, the Apostle Paul described in part our mission. He says this, he says, come on, read this with me. For we are God's masterpiece. Isn't that a great word? I just want you to know that if you have self-esteem issues, this should take care of it. Like, you know, I'm not a size zero. You can be a size zero or a size 48. You can be six foot three or you can be four foot two. Doesn't matter the color of your skin. Doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. Doesn't matter how many degrees you have or don't have. I want you to know when God looks at you, God says right there, that's one of my masterpieces. Isn't that cool? For we are God's masterpiece. And then watch this. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Now, when he says he's created us anew, he's not talking about 
when you were created originally. He's talking about when you were born again, when you were reborn, when you committed your life to Christ. Well, what is that for? Why did he create us anew? So, everybody say that word, so, here's the reason. Therefore, we can do the good things he's planned for us long ago. So God's saying, hey, the reason that you were born again, the reason you came into a relationship with God, the reason Jesus saved you, forgave you, and made you his kids isn't so you can get information, isn't so you can go to a new destination, but ultimately you would have a new mission. Your mission in life, should you choose to accept it, is to do the good things that he planned for you long ago. Mm. That means before you were ever born, before you ever came into this world, before any of that happened, God always planned a purpose for your life. That very distinct purpose was for you to take who you are and what you have and mix it with who he is and what he has so you can do good things. Everybody shout good things. Good things that change the world that we live in. And the challenge is this, as we look at living this life and fulfilling this passion or this plan or this purpose that God's given us. Because you have that on your life. Now, you may have been distracted by other goals, other achievements, other dreams that you have. I want you to know, ultimately, Jesus did what he did for you so he could live through you, so you could do the purpose and fulfill the plan of God on your life. And so when we look at it, man, I don't know about you, but it's daunting. Like, how can we, how can we do something? How can we really make a difference uh, in this world? And Jesus, he responds this way, and this is what we're going to talk about today. Jesus told his disciples this. He said, for when he was eating with them, he commanded them, watch this, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. So Jesus, he's getting ready to go to heaven. He looks at his disciples he says, hey, don't forget your purpose. Your purpose is to go and do the good works that God's always created you to do. But he says, hey, don't, even, don't leave Jerusalem. That's home base. Jerusalem was, was home base. He said, don't leave home base. Don't even leave and try to go into this world and make a difference until, until what? Till he says this, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's good. What's that mean? But you will receive, come on, say it, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. I'm glad y'all are fired up about that. He's saying, hey, this is, this is the goal. He's saying, you have a next level call on your life, but you can never fulfill a next level call without next level power that we need high octane in our life. We need next level horsepower in order to do what God's called us to do. And what Jesus promises to us as his disciples 2,000 years later is the same call and promise that he gave his disciples 2,000 years ago. He said, hey, before you even attempt to go do what I've called you to do, you need, come on, say it, I need power. You need power. We need the high octane life. We need next level horsepower. And so the challenge is, again, I'm going to walk us through a couple of things that as we embrace this idea, there's a couple of things I think we need to kind of agree on, and I think we will. Number one is that mankind is broken and hurting. I mean, does anybody here believe that? Like, we live in a society and a culture that's jacked up. 
And it doesn't matter how smart we get. It doesn't matter how many scientific breakthroughs we experience. It doesn't matter the dial is through the roof. Um, It doesn't matter how big your 401k gets. It doesn't matter. Right now, and has always been, humanity is broken. We are jacked up. You see it right now happening in Hollywood. Some of, those, some of the most prominent, successful, wealthy men that have ever lived, their lives are unraveling because they are broken. In humanity, we see it right now. We see it in marriages. We see it in addictions. Our culture is overwhelmed right now with opiate addictions. It's not happening right here just in our nation as we wrestle with tensions through racism and bigotry. It is around the world. There is one disease that's influenced and impacted every person ever born. We are broken. Does anybody here believe that? So as we look around, we're broken. Here's what I want you to know, though, is, number two, that Jesus is the answer. You would think I said that in church. Hello, Jesus is the answer to what is ailing mankind. It's not a politician. It's not the right president. It's not the right congressman. It's not getting the right laws passed because you can put your person in the White House. You can put who you want in Congress. You can put who you think is best on the Supreme Court justice. But I'm telling you, they can pass all the laws you think they can pass, but no external law can change the internal heart of a man. Only God can fix and change what's broken about humanity. That's it. Are are we in agreement with these first two? So let me give you the third one because it's less popular. That you, everybody say me, you are God's plan to meet man's need with the answer of Christ. So if we're like, okay, okay, God, we believe you're the answer. We're jacked up. Come fix us. You'll be waiting a mighty long time. Because the answer of God showing up in your workplace, because you work with a group of people, man, they are party animals, they're reprobates, every other word is the F word, and they're dropping bombs, and you know they're, you know they're not saved, you know they, they don't want anything to do with God, you're like, God, you need to do something with these group of guys, you're like, God, show up, God's like, I sent you there. Well, God, I thought I was here to get a paycheck, he said, you're there to get a paycheck, but while you're there getting the paycheck, I'm going to use you for my plan too. God, I wish you would show up on my campus because, man, right now, atheism is running wild. Agnosticism is off the chart. People deny you. People don't even believe you exist. God, man, you need to show up on this campus. You need to change the hearts and lives and minds of students. God, I wish you'd be here. God says, I sent you to the campus, not for a degree, but to use you to influence people. See, I want you to know something. God's primary plan and purpose to preach the gospel, to change the hearts of broken humanity is not him coming. He already came, but he came to give us power for high octane living so we would go and do the good things that he sent us to do, which is to impact broken humanity, not in our own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. So so here's the challenge. here's, Here's the challenge is we've got this huge mission. We've got this huge call on our life. And if we're honest, man, we're not really doing a really great job. In fact, a number of years ago, my wife and I, we bought our very first house. We were excited to get it. We're thankful that, man, God blessed us with this house. But we moved in, and whoever had owned it at some point in the past really liked bushes because they planted them everywhere. And it was a test from the Lord of how long I could deal with it and not lose my patience, my peace, and my salvation. And so they had let these bushes grow truly out of control, bushes that should have been like two foot high, They were 10, 12 foot high. They were growing over our roof. And so I decided I was going to go cut them. And I thought I would like shape them into like giraffes and polar bears. Yeah, that didn't happen. So 
We just cut them down. You know, man, I was whacking these bushes. I had saws and shovels. Ultimately, the goal was to pull these, just get these bushes out of the ground and start over with fresh landscaping. And they had letting the, they had let, letting. See what y'all have done to me? Letting. That's on me. My bad. Anyways, <laughs> they had let these trees, I mean, truly, the stumps of these trees were like this big. These things were growing out of control. And so I thought, I'm just going to pull these things out of the ground. So with my shovel and my saw and gloves on my hands, I mean, I, I did all I could to wrestle these bushes out of the ground to no avail. But thankfully, one of the things we've always been blessed with is good neighbors. Anybody here have good neighbors? Good neighbors are the ones who show up when you need something. I am not a good neighbor. I have good neighbors. When good neighbors see me out working, they come and help me. When I see them working, I pull the blinds so they think I'm not home. <laughs> but so we're out, I'm out slaving all these bushes, and here comes this guy. This is the truth. I had never met him up until this day. He just wandered over. He didn't even introduce himself. Literally, he just started working. And so eventually became a very good friend of ours, was very good to our kids, him and his wife, Bill and Diane. And so Bill, man, he's slaving beside me. He's got gloves on. I got gloves on. We're tugging on these bushes and pulling on them and hatcheting them and I mean, man, we're doing all we can in our own strength. We cannot get these bushes out of the ground. But thankfully, that was not my only good neighbor. We had another neighbor across the street. He was, his nickname was the mayor. And he wasn't the mayor, but anytime you got a friend that people call the mayor, that's right. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And here comes the mayor. He comes rolling up. That's my tractor. He comes rolling up in this huge tractor, rolls up. I'm like, listen, man, we can't get these things out of the ground. He's like, move out of the way. And so we moved, and he latched this big old chain on the back of this tractor. And, man, I'm telling you, just pulled and ripped these tree trunks right out of the ground. I was so excited. It was awesome. I'm just telling you, when I, when I look at that and I think of that, I think about how a lot of Christians are trying to do what God's called us to do, and we got our work gloves on, and we got our shovels, and we're working ourselves silly, and we're not really making much progress. The reason is because you need to tap into the tractor of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You can pull things you never thought you can pull. You can accomplish things you never thought you can accomplish, but you can only do it in a strength that's available to you, that's greater than you, and God said it's ours. It is the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's yours. And so when Jesus said that through the Holy Spirit we'll have power, this word power is dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite, that what God is offering us as Christ followers, that as we walk out this life, as we try to accomplish and dream and do and fulfill, to change this world. And it's daunting and it's overwhelming and we feel ill-equipped. He's saying, no, I've got power available to you, dynamite, explosive power to do what you could never do in your own strength. Now, the crazy thing is when you start talking about this idea of the power of the Holy Spirit, it does one of two things to you. Now, as a non-denominational church, we have people from every walk of life. We have people that, you know, grew up Methodist or Baptist or Presbyterian, Catholic, Church of Christ, Church of Christ, Church of Christ. It's because there's a lot of Church of Christ around here. That's why I said that so many times. <laughs> And, or we, got, we have people here that are atheists, and we have people that come here that are agnostic. They're still kind of checking things out. But we have people that are charismatic and Pentecostal. And here's what's funny. When you hear the idea or the concept of the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the power of the Holy Spirit, like there's one or two responses. If you've grown up in traditional mainline churches, you start getting nervous because like, uh-oh. This is when they get out the flags and the shofars. I'm out. 
Because your idea of the power of the Holy Spirit, it's freaky and it's weird and you don't want anything to do with it because your experience of other people like doing it is weird. And I just want you to know something, and you have to hear this today, is that how charismatic people have represented the power of the Holy Spirit, you should never judge the work of the Spirit based on the actions of a charismatic any more than you should base the work of Christ on the actions of a Christian. Because as believers, we do not always represent Christ well, and charismatics do not always represent the power of the Holy Spirit well. God never gave us the power of the Holy Spirit so we could run aisles in church. God gave us the power of the Holy Spirit so we could run to our neighbor in need and have the power to be the solution they're looking for. God never gave us the power of the Holy Spirit so we could stand up inside of the context of a church and say something, but so we would have boldness to go to our unsaved loved one, friend, neighbor, coworker, or student and share the power of the gospel and God use us to win them to Christ. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit is for. Are you all hearing me? And so the other side is, so some of you run from it because it's weird and some of you refuse to embrace it. And I'm just telling you, so we, I feel like we got these two options. We can be weak or be weird. We can try to do what God's called us to do in our own strength, which is never enough. Or like, well, I'll do it, and then I'll just be one of those weird people. And I'm just, I'm tired of the Holy Spirit being leveraged for spiritual class warfare, that I have it and you don't. I'm better, you're not. And I'm tired of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit being used in church to run people off instead of draw people in. God has given every one of us a mission to influence this world to be the answer in a broken and hurting world with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we shouldn't be running people off. We should be drawing people in. And while it is a challenge, God has equipped us and given us the power to really make the difference. Is anybody with me today? And so when you read through, especially, I mean, the entire Bible, but here's what you got to buy into, and I think you'll see this. Anytime you read through the Bible and all of these kind of well-known characters, and some of you are familiar with them. But when you find out and you read about some of these characters, there's one trait that's consistent, and it is, whether you've ever recognized it or not, it is the thing that attracts you to that person. When you read the stories of the incredible characters of the Old Testament, there is one character that rises to the top, and it's that characteristic that is always the thing that is most appealing. The thing that always makes us be drawn, the thing that always pulls us into these characters, it's always the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. When you read about Noah, the thing that makes us attracted to Noah is the faith that he had. Where did he get faith to build a boat when it had never rained? It was the power of the Holy Spirit. What gave him the ability to shape and craft an incredible ark? It was the power of the Holy Spirit. What made Elijah stand on Mount Carmel and battle 450 prophets of Baal to victory? It was the power of the Holy Spirit. What caused David to march on a battlefield and win a battle against an incredible giant and ultimately be one of the greatest kings that ever lived? It was the power of the Holy Spirit. What gave Solomon the wisdom unlike any other man that ever lived? It was the power of the Holy Spirit. So when you look at incredible things that people have done, it's always one thing that gave them that ability, and it wasn't them. It wasn't their degree. It wasn't what they knew or who they knew. It was, say it, power. And God wants you and I to have power too. So... For a few minutes, I want to look at one character in the Old Testament, and the thing that really exemplified his life was power. And his, life, his name is Moses, and if you're taking notes, this is the one takeaway I want you to have, is that you can do the impossible because the God of the impossible is inside of you. You can do 
the impossible because the God of the impossible is on the inside of you. So Moses, if some of you know his story, right? So God picks one man, his name is Abraham, and promises Abraham that he's going to make him and his heritage, his lineage, a great nation, and he does. And so Abraham has children who has children who has children, and through the multiplicity of children, Abraham ultimately becomes known as the nation of Israel. And God blesses the nation, and ultimately they end up in a place called Goshen, just outside of Egypt. God uses Abraham's great-grandson Joseph in a very profound way to help the nation of Egypt in difficult times. So they have favor, they have blessing because of what Joseph has done. Joseph gets old, he dies. A new pharaoh, a new king comes into power and forgets about Joseph, forgets about all the incredible things that Joseph did for the nation of Israel. And this new pharaoh enslaves the people of Israel. They're there, they put them to work under incredible, difficult challenges with taskmasters driving them and beating them to build the city. And so God raises someone else up, and it goes from Joe to Mo, from Joseph to Moses. God raises up this guy, Moses, to be the one that delivers the nation of Israel, that goes in and brings his people out. And what I want us to look at for a few minutes is the story, and really his ability to do the impossible is because God's with him the same way God's with you. And so watch this unfold. In Exodus chapter 3, the Bible says this, Then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, and I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. Have you ever looked at this world and wondered, does God see it? Have you ever wondered, is God paying attention? Does he see the hurt, the distress, the brokenness, the division, the disunity? Does God see the war, the tears, the crying, the rape? Does God see what's happening? Is God, God, are you up there? And this verse very articulately describes and explains God's awareness of the human condition. When he looks at his people and their struggle, I want you to notice, he says, look, I see their oppression I've heard their cries. I'm aware of what's going on. Okay, God, well, if you see it all, if you hear it all, like, what are you going to do about it? Well, he tells Moses what he's going to do. Next verse, he says this. Watch this. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. All right, finally. Don't you love it when your daddy says, don't make me come up there? God looks at the condition, looks at the situation, hears the cries, he knows what's going on, and he tells Moses, watch this, he says, hey, I'm coming down there. Would you not love for God to show up in the middle of broken humanity, in the middle of everything that's happening? God, come show up. Anybody here, would you like it if God showed up in this world? God showed up in this situation. Absolutely. So that's the promise. Look at this. God says, hey, I'm coming down there. At this point, Moses is like, oh, yeah, it's on like Donkey Kong. Watch. Y'all ready? On the count of three, God. You ready? One, two, three, go. Okay, God, you must have missed three. Ready? Come on, God. You said you're coming. I'm ready. Come on. One, two, three. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh, and you must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. So God says, I'm coming down there to rescue my people. Moses like, okay, come on. He says, okay, I'm coming. You go. Wait, wait, hey, pump the brakes. Wait, there must be a miscommunication. 
It seems to me that I heard you say that I'm to go, and you said you're going. God says, that's right, I'm going, so go. What you need to understand is God very much equates sending you into your workplace as him showing up in your workplace. God equates him coming into this world the same as he equates sending you into this world because we are the hands and feet of Christ because we have a mission from God filled with the power of God. We can go do the works of God. So God equates sending you as him going. So if you're waiting for someone else to show up into your workplace, God sent you into the workplace, you into the world. He moved you into that neighborhood. He sent you to that college. He gave me my job. He sent us where we are, gave us his power so we could change the world. So I'm sending you. So your good works, my good works, what God created me for was to influence and change the world I live in. And I don't know about you, but that idea, let's just be real. Like, I can't even always get my kids to listen to me. I'm supposed to change the world. Like, I got my own issues, God. You want me to try to go fix other people's issues? You have got the wrong person. And if that's your response, we're in great company because Moses' response to God saying, hey, I'm sending you to be the deliverer was exactly that. Notice what he says. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? I don't have anything to wear. I don't know what to say. I'm not even sure if I can get there. And when I get there, what good am I? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Have you ever, feel, ever felt totally ill-equipped to do a job? Have you ever felt like you didn't know enough, you weren't smart enough, you weren't gifted enough, you weren't talented enough? Anybody here ever feel like you were too little for a job at hand? You are in good company because that's exactly how Moses felt. He said, God, you're sending me, but you're sending the wrong person because I don't have what it takes. The problem is he was asking the wrong question. The question should never be, who am I? The question should always be, who are you? Because anytime you put yourself underneath the microscope, the only thing you will do is highlight your deficiencies and you'll realize you're not smart enough. You don't know enough. You're not talented enough. Anytime you put yourself under the microscope, it will probably discourage you because none of us are equipped for the job at hand to really do in our own strength what can be done. But when you put God underneath the microscope, when you put him underneath the lens of scripture, you'll find out it's not about our deficiencies. It's about his sufficiency, that the God we serve is well able to change the world we live in and that his grace is enough. His power is enough. His ability is enough. I'm in church. I wish someone would help me. God's enough. And so he says, Hey, who am I? I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't, God, you got the wrong person. And God responds the way he's responded to us. He says this to his protesting. God answered, hey, I'm with you. I don't know what to say. I'm with you. I don't have a clue how to start this business. I don't have a clue how to do this. I don't have a clue how to initiate that conversation. God, what do I say? I know that couple's headed to divorce, and I'm their friend, and what do I say? I don't know how to start it. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do, and if I say something and do something, it'll probably be wrong, and God says, here's the answer. You ready? Here's the answer. I'm with you. Yeah, but, and you can do the impossible because the God of the impossible is with you. 
See, this is the same promise. Moses gets the same promise from God to do what he had called him to do as we have to do what God's called us to do. This is what Jesus told us. It's where we started this series four weeks ago. Jesus said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, and he will never leave you. The Holy Spirit's with you. The Holy Spirit is in you. And he's not in you to give you warm fuzzies and numb buzzies and goosebumps. He's in you to give you power to fulfill the mission on your life. And it is enough. And I'm just here to tell you that it's okay to have questions and it's okay to push back and it's okay to doubt because that's exactly what Moses did. In fact, Moses goes on, even though God gives him the answer, Moses protested again. Like he's investing all his energy in arguing with God instead of investing the energy in being obedient to God. He's like, he's like a child because so are we. If, if my kid would spend less energy arguing with me and more energy in just taking the trash out, he could have had the trash out by now. Moses is like, God, you got the wrong person. I know you said you're with me, but, 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 and notice what he says here. But if they won't believe me or listen to me, what if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Notice what God says to Moses. Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? Let me see this. So here's, here's Moses. If you don't know Moses, Moses for, for 40 years of his life was a shepherd which was the number one occupation at that time in that region of the world. Everybody. Everybody graduated high school and said, what are you going to do? I'm going to be a shepherd. What are you going to do? I'm going to be a shepherd. Everybody was shepherds. The number one occupation. So he's standing there. God says, listen, Moses, I'm sending you. I want you to go talk to the king of Egypt and command him to let my people go. I'm going to use you to deliver my people out of his hand. Moses is like, who am I? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. God's like, hey, I'm with you. He's still arguing with God. God finally says, okay, hey, what's that in your hand? He's holding a stick. What's special about the stick? Nothing. It's a stick. The only thing the stick does, it represents his training, it represents his experience, and it represents his occupation. And you know what's special about it? Nothing. And the reason I love it is because God says, look, some of you are looking to have like if, you're just, if, you, if, you'd gone to, if you've been saved long enough, if you had the right experience, if you went to Bible college, maybe, like, maybe if you've been saved long enough, you could talk to the person. God, there's nothing unique about me. There's nothing special about me. How could you use me? And God says, really, if you look at Moses, there was really not that much unique about him. He was a shepherd like every other guy that he knew. Every guy he graduated school with, every guy that lived in the neighborhood, they were shepherds. You know what's special about a stick? Nothing. It was a stick from an ordinary tree. But what I want you to know today is is that God can do extraordinary things with ordinary people. You know what's funny? What's funny today is if Moses was alive today, every pastor would want to go get a staff. Because if I just had a staff like Moses. It's funny to hear new preachers preach. New, They get behind the pulpit and they'll watch TV and they'll say, if I can just talk like TDJ, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. If I talk like TD Jakes, I can have a church like TD Jakes. If I can stand up like Joel Osteen, everybody hold up your Bible. This is my Bible. I can have what it says I can have. If I just pray the prayer that Joel prays, I can have a church like Joel. No, see, what you haven't figured out is T.D. Jakes, Thomas Dexter Jakes is just a man. What makes him anointed is the power of God on his life. 
Joel Osteen is just a man. What makes him unique and specific and special is the power of the Holy Spirit on his life. I don't have to preach like anybody else. I don't have to act like anybody else because what makes me usable is the anointing and the power of God on my life. You don't have to be like me. Be you. Be you in your occupation, where you work, in your family, and God will use you. So what's crazy about the staff is, do you know later, and I didn't share this either two services, so you, you get information on else, God. Y'all don't seem very, feel special. You feel special? You should feel special. Do you know the staff of Moses, the staff that he used to strike the riverbed and part of the Red Sea, the, the, the staff that he used to hit the rock and water came out, the staff that he used to lead him, it's the same staff that he held up with serpents when they were bit by serpents. You can read the story. People were dying everywhere. God said, take your staff, nail some snakes to it, hold it up, and everybody who looks at it will be healed. It was a picture of Jesus being our healer. Do you know that same very, that very same staff they held on to hid in the temple, and ultimately they worshipped it. They worshipped a wooden staff. Because they thought it's a staff. It's a magical staff. No, it's not. What God was saying is, I can take a regular old wooden stick that every other shepherd has, and I can do supernatural things to it. See, the very thing that makes you say God can't use me is the very thing that sets you up to be used. Because if you think you're too special, you'll rely on what you have instead of what God has. But when you recognize I don't really bring much to the table, God says you're a perfect candidate because you'll rely on me. And so the other thing is the reason we don't go, and, and I believe this on my heart. So God says, okay, take your staff. It's a regular staff. And some of you know the story. He says, okay, now drop it. And Moses drops his staff. And what, what happens? Y'all know it turns into a snake. That would never happen to me because, like, if it's a snake or a spider, I'm out. That's the end of the story. And Steve ran off. Like, that's how the chapter would close. What happened to Steve? We don't know. He ran away. That was the end of the But it turns into a snake. And so God says, now I want you to take your staff, the plain old wooden staff. It's not you. It's not even the staff. It's my power through you. And go drop it in front of Pharaoh. And if he questions, if like, what, what, who are you to come tell me to let the people go? He's going to see that there's power in your life. Here's our fear. Our fear is if we buy into the idea that humanity is broken, and we do. If we buy into the idea that Jesus is the solution, I think most of us do. The reason we don't buy into number three is because we're afraid if we get ourselves in the conversation, if we get ourselves in the ministry, if we show up and we're the leader of the small group, if we start a ministry, if we get into a business, we're afraid if we get into a conversation, we're afraid if we show up and we want to share what God's done in our life, we're afraid this. We're afraid if we drop our staff that this is what will happen. We're afraid nothing will happen. You say, Pastor Steve, wait, are you telling me that my staff can turn into a snake? I'm telling you, you will never know what God can do through your life until you put yourself in the situation, until you put yourself in front of the king, until you get yourself in the conversation, until you put yourself in, out there. You'll never find out what he can do. But I'm telling you this, listen to me. As a pastor, my greatest fear is this right here, that I'll get up, that through the week I'll pray, and for months I'm studying, and I'm figuring out what I'm going to preach, and I'm going to get up on Sunday morning and with great eloquence preach this message to be like, and nothing happened. And it's crazy how God will take a guy that for years, and I've tried, I can't get seen and saw right. Some of you know it. Can't get was and were right. I know it drives you crazy. Me too. I listen to the mess. I think, what an idiot. 
I've not articulated my D's well enough. Week one, I got a message from a guy who's moving from Indiana here, looking for a church, found us, listened online, said, I love your church. I've listened to several messages of yours. I love them all. But I had a question. I listened to the first message in this new series you're teaching called Ghost Stories. Did you say God sins or the Holy Spirit sins? Week one, I said that. I said, no, he sins, d -d -d sins. He said, I sound like you said the Holy Spirit sins, S-I-N. I just want to make sure. God will take my struggle sometimes to be articulate. And I'll get up and I'll drop a staff every week and sometimes I'm afraid nothing will happen. And God will take a regular person and because I was bold enough to get in front of people and do what he's called me to do, God uses it. And some of you in this room, man, you've experienced the same thing. If you put yourself in front of the right person, if you'll take the call of God on your life to do good works, not good deeds, but to believe that God can use you through his power, not being weird, being wild. That God will give you the power to change hearts and lives and situations. If we get enough people to believe that, we can change a city. If we change enough cities, we can change a state. If we change enough states, we can change this nation. You change enough nations, you can change a world. And it all starts with just a small group of people that just dare to believe that God can anoint them with the power to change situations. So as I wrap this up, I think some of us are already there, right? Because you already, you already had experiences with God's power in private. Has anybody here ever been in a church service or ever been at home? Anybody here ever been driving down the road, you're listening to some worship music, and man, the presence of God fills the car, and man, you sense him, and you go to crying and weeping, and people think you're crazy, and you're like, hey, like... And man, you are having an encounter with God in your Hyundai. And you're sitting at home doing your devotions. And it's like, man, the heavens open and God's speaking to you. And you feel this strong urge and you feel this direction. See, here's the crazy thing is you're already experiencing it in private. You're just afraid to practice it in public. And I'm telling you, if you'll get in the right, in front of the right person for the right conversation at the right time, God will use everyday words from everyday people. God will anoint it with his power and he will change lives. And his promise is you can't do it alone, so I'm giving you power. So I wrap this up. Here's what I want you to hear. Again, he experienced first in private what Pharaoh experienced in public. If you will practice encounters with God in private, it will set you up to have encounters with God in public. But here's the big takeaway because this is all good stuff. I hope you're getting something from it. With this, I need to be reminded of this, is the ultimate measure of success is not results, but obedience. Here's why. Here's what God tells me. You can read the story. I don't have time, but here's what God says to him. God says, it's almost funny. God says, okay, listen, you're going to go to Pharaoh and command him to let my people go. He's like, I can't go. He says, okay, I'm going to give you a couple miracles. First, when you drop your staff, it's going to turn into a snake. When it turns into a snake, he's going to be convinced I sent you and he's going to let my people go. But if that doesn't work, he says that, but if that doesn't work, then I want you to take your hand, stick it in your coat. When you stick it in your coat, it's going to turn leprous and it's going to be another sign that I'm with you. So do the second sign. And when you do the second sign, he's going to know I sent you and he's going to let my people go. But if that doesn't work... He said, I want you to get some water from the Nile and pour it out on the ground, and it's going to turn all the Nile like blood. And he says, he's going to see that sign. When he sees that sign, he's going to know I sent you to let my people go. But if that doesn't work, it's almost like God keeps saying, it's going to work, but just in case. 
Because here's the goal. I don't know about you, I'm A-type personality. I always strive to be better. I'm results-driven, that's my life. And if I don't have results, I quit. Yesterday, I turned the Ohio State off, game off like two minutes in the I was like, they're down 14 nothing. Because when I don't see results, I'm out. What God is saying is, listen, if you get focused on the results, if you don't see what you think you should see, when you think you'll see it, you'll quit. So don't make it about results. Results will happen. I believe it with all in my heart that God gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to impact change. But if it doesn't happen on the first conversation, don't give up because the goal isn't your conversation. The goal is your obedience. So just keep going. Just keep doing. Keep putting yourself out there. Keep opening your mouth. Keep looking for opportunities. Keep taking advantages of dreams and visions and opportunities that God's given you. Just do that because what God measures in us is not our results because the results aren't up to us. The results are up to God. See, God is not interested in your ability. He's interested in your availability. God, here am I. Send me. And we go. God uses us, takes a regular old person like a stick, puts his power in it, and does something significant. You have access to the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's not to be weird. It'll make you wild, but it'll make you usable. That you could do what you could never do on your own. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, God, help us just to have faith today. That God, you want to use us, you can use us if we'll rely on you and trust in a power and an ability that's beyond our own. God, help us to have encounters in private that we can have encounters in public. Lord, that it's not us, it's you. And so Jesus says to every one of you in this room, listen, don't even try it, don't even go, but first wait, 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 wait until you receive power. When you have power, then go into all the world. So Lord, help us not to be a sitting church, but a sent church. God, help us to go in your power. In Jesus' name, amen.